is it's going to be about um, uh, a sort of six or seven week series uh, and it's going to be on the church. Um, I really felt God wanted uh, us to talk about uh, what it means to be the church. Um, and so we're going to um, preach on them in the Sunday morning and then we're going to use the, the midweek groups to talk about them and discuss them and think about them some more. Um, but uh, I, I'd like us to start this morning by looking at the church, his bride, the bride of Christ and what that means to be the bride of Christ. This series is not really necessarily about like how we should be behaving as a church so much, but more about the spiritual principles of what it means to be church. So let's just pray, shall we? And, and I need the Lord's help to, to bring this to you this morning. Um, so let's just pray, shall we? And ask the Lord just to be with us. Yeah, Lord, I want to... Uh, do my best, Lord, to um, share what's on your heart. Thank you, Lord, that the church is your idea, your invention. Lord, and as we're going to see this morning, Lord, there are great things, Lord, your heart is always directed towards the church. And I just want to pray that as we look at this over these next couple of months, Lord, that you would so do something in our hearts, Lord, through it, that we would see something fresh of you, that we wouldn't just... Um, hear the same old stuff about, you know, needing to be involved in church and all that kind of stuff. But we would see and capture something of your love for the church and something of your heart towards it. Well, we do ask. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to really focus. I'm not going to talk about the body. I was going to do that when I wrote this presentation, but I changed. Um, I don't know if you know this, right? The church is the most important institution in the history of the world. Right? The most important institution in the history of the world. Right? It's more important than the EU. It's more important than a nation state, than America. It's more important than China, however important you think those, those things are. They may seem big to us, but it's nothing in comparison to the church. They're more important than the United Nations, than Oxfam, Save the Children, even Food Bank. Right? The church is the most important institution in history. And it is the only institution that will survive through eternity. Every other, I mean, if you do any reading of any history, you realise that nations come and go. But one thing that does not come and go is the church. And the church is the immovable. It's a bit like other things like nations are a bit like snowflakes that land in our hands. They're here for a moment and gone. But the church lasts forever. It is an immovable giant that will stand through history in all its glory. It's often said that the history of the world is actually the history of the church. Uh, and I believe that to be true. You know, I don't know if any of you know about the Notting Hill Carnival, right? And all the colour and the pageantry and, the, and all the, the, the razzmatazz of, uh, you know, the Notting Hill Carnival will be like a grey suit, drab and boring compared to the splendour of the Bride of Christ. Amen? And, you know, all our, our great universities, all our great think tanks, all the people that think they've got Brexit figured out, right? Okay, they are, we know them to be foolish. Um, but all of those people that are clever are, are nothing compared to the wisdom of God that is revealed through the church. So why then is the church the most important institution in, in history? And it's this, very simple. It's the only one that Jesus has put himself into. The church is the only institution, the only organisation, the only body that he has put himself into. 
And so when we gather this morning, we're not just, you, you might have thought, oh, well, I turned up this morning like I do every week, uh, and we're just a few people singing some songs in the youth centre, uh, maybe in tune, maybe not. Um, but this isn't the Jesus Club, right? This isn't the Society for the Appreciation of Jesus, all right? It is not just a society or a club. It is something so much more significant. It is, we are part this morning of the most dynamic, powerful institution in the history of the world. Oh man, thanks Mark. Yeah? It is unbelievably significant. I don't want us this morning to feel like what we're doing here is insignificant. And I think often we don't get how significant eternally the church really is. How what we are doing here today matters and will speak throughout eternity. You think, I'm just thinking about Sunday lunch, right? Jesus has got his mind on something so much bigger. And I want us to capture the sense and the heart of God's eternal purposes for us in the church. You know, I've got our friend, we've got a friend called Matt, Matt Chilvers, he's in Chester, and he has a phrase which he loves to use often. And he says, if you ask this question, what is God doing on the earth? What is God doing on the earth? The answer is this, God is building his church. God is building his church. You want to know what God's doing today? He's building his church. God is completely and utterly committed to the church. And the more we read it, the more we look at the scriptures, you realise everything that Jesus had in his heart is outworked through the church. And so we cannot be casual about our approach and our attitudes towards the church. Because if you want to ask, what's God doing? He's building his church. And as we're going to see, that has immense significance. And I love the, the verse, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. You'll probably all know it, won't you? Right? He says to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not stand against it. Amen? So, many people, I think, don't really understand why the church exists. I think there's lots of misunderstandings about the church. And so this morning, I'm not going to be really practical in my, uh, my talk. I'm really talking about the principles behind these things. But I want to tell you what the church is not before I really get into what the church is. And the first thing the church is not, the church is not a gym, right? It is not a gym, right? Now, I am not a member of a gym. Uh, I've thought about it. Um, but you go to a gym in order to get fit and to get strong, don't you, Chris? Chris is a member of a gym. Look at those guns, yeah? All right? <clears throat> um, you can tell. But the church is not a place where, the church is not primarily a place for Christians to basically kind of get fit spiritually, Right? The church is not fundamentally or primarily a place for Christians to come and to find their identity and their calling and their purpose. That is not primarily its function. And let me tell you why the church is not primarily a gym. If the church is primarily a gym, who is at the centre of the church? Me. So the church is about me, about me getting spiritually fit and healthy and all of those things. And the church, we could be subtly convinced that the church exists for my needs. Or well, the church exists to help me fulfil my dreams. And I'm sorry to break it to you, right? You are not the centre of God's plans, but neither am I, right? right? If we see the church as a gym or a personal support package, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment. Because sooner or later, hands up, oh no, let's not do hands up, that would be a bad thing. The church lets us down, doesn't it? The church can't fulfil our personal development needs or whatever it might be. The church is not primarily about us. Secondly, 
and, and this may be a bit more controversial, but I, will, I want to show you from the scriptures why I believe this. The church is not primarily an evangelism machine. The church is not primarily an evangelism machine. There's been a lot of talk about the church being on mission over the last few years and that the, front, the primary function of the church being for mission. And again, I don't want to be controversial, but I want us to look through the scriptures as to why I believe that's the case. And I think much of our thinking has been very influenced by, uh, I'm going to be mean and say American uh, business thinking, um, but I think it's just general, yeah? A kind of idea that somehow that the church needs to grow, right? And that the main function of the church is to grow the kingdom, right? And expand the kingdom. That's really primarily. And so everything, and, and subtly what happens, if that's the case, is that we find ourselves... Right, focusing on the success and the value of a local church being on the size that it is. Right, and we can, and particularly I've, I've said this as leaders, you can end up feeling like a failure because your church isn't as big as you think it ought to be. And it means that we can end up focusing on quantity and numbers rather than the state of the church. I'm going to explain and clarify what I mean by that because what I'm not saying is the church does not have to have a responsibility, a massive responsibility to share the gospel, but I will get there. But I'm saying it's primarily, the church's primary function is not mission, it's something else. And so I want us to look, uh, if you have your Bibles, it would be great if you have this passage because we are going to uh, work through it, um, from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 to 11. Um, uh, and we're going to read it together and so it's on the screen so I'll read it it says to me this is Paul who am less than the least of all the saints this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery from which the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a complicated piece of scripture, right? And I'm going to seek to unpack it as we go through together, okay? Um, and what we see instantly from this passage is in verse 10, it says, right, that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers for the eternal, according to the eternal purpose. You see, I would say that when we look, and we're going to unpack this more and more as we go through, the primary focus, mission, effort of the church is to expand or to, to demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God. Right? That is to explain the mysteries of God. The church is there to explain the mystery of God hidden through the ages to the principalities and powers according to his eternal purpose. And so we're going to ask ourselves three simple questions this morning. Right? What, is, what is the manifold wisdom of God? Who is this wisdom shown to? And what is the eternal purpose of God in the church? Okay? Because I believe as we look through that, we will understand God's heart and passion for the church, what his purpose and plan is for the church. All right? No matter what book you read, I love to come back to uh, the, the Bible and the scripture and ask myself, what is God saying about things rather than necessarily what am I just reading in other places? 
So the first question we're going to ask is, what is the manifold wisdom of God? Well, the first one I need to explain the word manifold, right? Anyone use the word manifold in their, uh, in their recent uh, chat? Uh, no? It basically means the big, the great, the expensive, the very much wisdom of God. The big wisdom of God, right? All right that's what the word manifold means. Um, but in this, in this passage, right, and, and before, if you were to read uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, uh, Paul is talking about a mystery. He's saying that there's been a mystery that has existed through the ages. And it's been hidden, and we sit here. Uh, it has been uh, hidden from the beginning of the ages. There's this mystery. And now, this mystery is being revealed. And this, this mystery is the revelation of God's great wisdom. All right? Um, if we were to read um, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 7 to 8, it says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. This mystery was so hidden, right, that even, I believe, even the devil didn't understand what God was doing. Otherwise, if he'd understood what God was doing, he wouldn't have crucified Jesus. Because if he'd crucified Jesus, right, Jesus, and if he'd realised what was going to happen when he took Jesus to the cross and nailed him to the cross, right, he would have not realised that that was the answer to freedom and his defeat. The devil wouldn't have done it, would he? Right? Even the devil hasn't understood this, this mystery through the ages. But now, in the era of the church, God's great plan is beginning to be revealed. And as we're going to see, it's revealed through the church. Right? It's revealed through the church. Um, and so I want to ask you this. I want to, um, if you can take a little journey with me, I want you to imagine that you are an angel. Um, you are an angel, Keegan. Um, it's good. Joel, can you get me a glass of water, mate? Is that all right? Um, I want to uh, ask you to imagine that you are an angel and that you've been a, an angel since before the world was made, right? So you are uh, before the world was made. Uh, and I want you to imagine that you're looking down and you look at God create the earth and you've seen God create this beautiful world and it's just perfect in every way. And as an angel, you're standing back and you are marvelling at God's great creative power. You're like, wow, he's created this beautiful earth that's just perfect for humanity to live on it. This is amazing. And then as an angel, a servant of God, you start to see slowly people mess it up, right? And you're thinking, no, God's created this thing perfect. And then humanity is beginning to mess it up. And slowly but surely, the earth is getting more and more broken. But then God creates a special people. I'm just going to... And then God creates a special people, the people of Israel. And he, he loves them passionately. And as an angel, you're thinking, wow, he's, doesn't he protect them? And he cares for them and he watches over them. But even this people of Israel, they still just keep messing it up again and again. And as an angel, you're watching, you're thinking, oh, why do you make such a mess of this? It's such a shame. But not only that, the people of Israel begin to reject God himself. They go and they worship other gods. And you, as the angel who's been there since the foundation of the world, you're looking and thinking, guys, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. And you begin to think, has God made some huge mistake? You wonder if the angels are thinking, what has God done? He's created this perfect race and he's put on it a people that are completely useless. 
They keep making a mess of it. And then, finally, God sends his son Jesus. And if you're an angel at this point, you're thinking, right, okay, now God's got it. He's going to send his son and his son's going to sort out the mess. And his son goes down to earth. And first of all, you think, okay, he's going down as a baby. Okay, right, that's interesting. Interesting tactic. Um, but then there's an angel watching and Jesus starts to allow himself to be insulted. Jesus allows himself to be rejected. And he refuses to show the greatness of his power. And then the real unthinkable happens. Jesus allows himself to be killed. Can you imagine being an angel? You must have been distraught. You must think, God, what are you doing? You created this world. It was perfect. They've messed it up. Then you send your son and now they've killed him as well. What is going on? And suddenly, three days after that, you realise, you start to get a handle on what God is really doing. Yeah, you're an angel. You suddenly see Jesus returning out of the depths of hell with the keys to hell and Hades. Amen? Right? And he's defeated death. He's defeated the devil. And finally, the, other, the angel like, wow, I never saw that coming. That was a mystery. I just didn't get it. I didn't see it. It was a, what a plot twist. Right? God, you really are powerful. You really are amazing. You are all the things that I thought you were in the beginning. Are you, are you following me? Yeah? But now, you think, wow, this is amazing. God has, is victorious. God is powerful. Jesus deserves all of our praise. Isn't this amazing? But then he starts to do something even more special. He starts to create a new nation. It says we are a new nation, a new special people, a new humanity. And this humanity is not just about one type of people, one group from Israel with one type of bloodline. This is a new humanity that is every race, every colour, every tribe, every tongue, right? Whether you are clever, whether you are not so clever, whether you have got loads of money or haven't got any money, whether you come from the upper classes or whether you come from the lower classes, there is no distinction anymore. This is a new kind of, of people. And you're thinking to yourself, wow, God, this is incredible. Why on earth would you do this? But the mystery is still not fully revealed. So God creates these people thinking, wow, okay, I've seen this before. Right? God's, God's redeemed these people, he's defeated death, now he's created a special people, but surely these people are going to mess it up. But they don't. Because slowly but surely the work of Christ in a heart transforms them and slowly instead of the church making a mess of it like Israel did, they, they, they have the power to live free from sin. And they have the power to start living like Jesus. And they forgive each other. And they love each other and they care for each other and they die for each other and they're there in a way that's just completely unrivaled in the whole world. And you're an angel at this point and you're thinking, wow, this, this is unbelievable wisdom. No one would have ever come up with this kind of plan, right? No one would have come up with a plan like the church. Just look at us, right? Look around this room and you ask yourself the question, would Tessie and I, in a natural sense, be friends. No, right? She comes from the other side of the world in India, but here she is, and she is part of us, right? Okay? Would I be friends with Esther? Probably not, right? Okay? Because she doesn't like me very much, yeah? But you see, what you see in the church is the revealed wisdom of God. It's like this is a mystery that's been hidden. The angels didn't get it. The devil didn't get it. Nobody got it. And suddenly Jesus comes. But it wasn't just that Jesus came back. That wasn't the complete mystery. The mystery is that he is revealing it in the church. Because instead of before the failed humanity that couldn't do it, that couldn't live up to it, that couldn't meet God's standards, the church is different. 
It's completely different. And yeah, it makes mistakes and it messes itself up and it gets into knots at times. But overall, the church continues to grow and continues to love. And, and do you know what? The angels must be sitting there and thinking, boy, this is amazing. God, you are so wise, so clever. Never would I have thought of such a crazy plan. But look at it working. And so you see, when we gather this morning, right? When we gather this morning and we're praising God, the angels are watching. Do you know that? Do you know that, Tony? The angels are watching you sing. And they're sitting there and they're not singing, oh, well, isn't Tony got an amazing voice, right? They're definitely not saying that, right? <clears throat> but what they are saying is they're just saying, Lord, how clever are you, God? that you have made this, this people to worship you together. And when we make a cup of tea for one another, and we love one another, and we care for one another, the, the, the angels are looking, thinking, this is just amazing, God, you are so wise. This mystery that's been hidden is now being fully revealed. And so when we think about the church, you need to realise it's not just any old group of people that you happen to have turned up to on a Sunday. When we gather and we do what God wants us to do, and we live like Jesus, we are expressing the manifold wisdom, the amazing, great, magnificent wisdom of God that's been hidden through the ages and now is being revealed. There were people like Abraham that would have died almost to see this. And we get it here. And we take it for granted sometimes, don't we? But this is the second question that I asked. The second question I answered was, was uh, who is this wisdom shown to? So, so who is the wisdom shown to? And we've already talked about it, really. The manifold wisdom of God is primarily shown to the principalities and the powers. Isn't it interesting? The church has a spiritual significance, which I think us, in our very kind of natural way, we do not fully grasp or understand. Now, the devil, as we've talked about this morning, the, the devil fears the church. Do you know that? I don't believe the devil fears me very much, right? Okay, I don't think, I think on my own I'm pretty, pretty weak, really. And I'm not really made much power to the Lord. But do you know the devil, I believe, and the principalities in the power, they fear the church. They fear a church that looks like Jesus. They fear a church that demonstrates the manifold wisdom of God. And when we behave like Christ, when we live out the church as God has intended it to be, it is a powerful force. You know, that, that verse that I read earlier, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, it says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not stand against it. You've probably heard this said before, but gates don't move, do they? Right? Gates are static. What God is saying is that, that the gates that the devil puts up, the walls the devil puts up, they cannot stand against the church moving forward. But when the church moves forward together as God intended, because I believe, right, that... That we, that there is some power that is demonstrated when we come together and we gather as a church. We are not just speaking to one another, we are speaking to the principalities and the powers. And you may think that's irrelevant this morning. You may think, oh Tim, what's that got to do with anything? That's got everything to do with everything. Because what's the church? The church is, the, what did I say the church was right at the beginning? Test you. Were you in, Tanner? No, you weren't. Never mind. The church was, is the only institution which what? The only what was that? It's the most important institution in the world and it will last how long? Forever. You see, when we speak and move and minister in a spiritual place, we're ministering into eternity. You know, what we do is so often ministering in a very kind of, you know, immediate fashion, but, but the church, when it operates as it is, is speaking into eternity. 
It's speaking into eternity. God has destined the church, not just that we would be a nice group of people that live together, but that he would show his glory, that he would display himself in the spiritual realm. And we don't get it. And one day we're going to see it. And we're going to be like, wow, this is the church displayed in all of its glory. And and that's where we're going next, because I'm about to answer. I need to stop in case I get to my third point. My third point was, what is the eternal purpose of God in the church? So we've seen that the church is to display the incredible wisdom of God and it speaks to the heavenly realms. But this is the part that I find truly amazing. And we're going to turn right to uh, the end of the Bible, to to Revelation. Now Revelation is a book about the end of the world, right, and the beginning of a new world. Right? It's the end of all things. And so there's going to be a great, uh, there's going to be great tribulation and judgment and things like that. Um, as what it says in Revelation and then we get right to the end to chapter 19 and what is after all said and done after it's all finished all the judgments done do you know what happens at that point let's read it Revelation chapter 19 verses 6 to 9 and I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters as the sound of mighty thunderings saying hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigns Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, blessed, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. Jesus in the Revelation is described as the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In all his glory, there's a whole other sermon for you, but Jesus, in his great glory, is revealed as an innocent slain lamb. That's just a whole other story right there. Right? The pinnacle of his glory is not his great majesty and power. It's the Lamb. But at the end of all things, after everything's done, do you know what, what's going to happen? What's going to happen is this. This is the point that Jesus gets the reward for that which he has died for. And what has he died for? He's died for his bride. It says in Revelation chapter 21, verses 2 and 3, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. I I still remember my wedding day. I remember my wedding day. I remember the church. I remember standing there, and I remember the music starting, Packerbell's Canon in D, if you're interested. Um, and, uh, And Helen appeared at the back of the church, and she looked beautiful with her dad. And uh, she begins to walk towards me and every head turns and every eye is on the beauty. And she's mine, the one I love. And this is what I've been waiting for. I've been looking forward to my whole life, even if I hadn't really understood it this moment. And that's why. And I, I want to ask you, for those of you that have been fortunate enough to have that, I think those moments are so special because they're almost a foreshadow, like a a God's way of almost showing us what one day it will be like. And the church will appear and Jesus the Lamb will have his bride arrayed in all her glory 
And that's the thing he died for. And all the things that are happening, and you ask me a question, why, you know, just what's the church about? It's about this. You and I are the bride of Jesus Christ, the one whom he loves so completely, so passionately that he died for. And at the end of all things, the end of creation, it isn't necessarily about just Jesus. It's about the marriage of the bride and the lamb. It's about God being with his people. This is the eternal significance. This is what God had in his heart from the beginning of time. Jesus could have had anything he wanted. He could have had anything he wanted, all glory, all power, everything. And what did he choose? He chooses the church. The church is his bride. And so I want us to read Ephesians chapter 5. And and normally this passage is is about uh, the relationship between a husband and a wife. And it is about that practically, But this is also about, and it says in verse 32, as we're going to see, it says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so I forget husbands, this is not about husbands being good to their wives, this is about Jesus and his love for the church. It says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He died on the cross that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, his flesh and his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church. And you see, this is why... When I look at the scripture and you say, what is the primary function of the church? What's the primary objective of the church? It's this, that we as a bride of Christ need to love Jesus. That's our primary focus, to live. Jesus, we want to just live for you. We want to be right with you. We want to be pure before you. We want to be you. We want to be for you. But what does this tell us about how Jesus feels about the church? He's the perfect husband. He's no cheater. Jesus. He isn't fickle. He doesn't change his mind whether he loves us or not. He, is, he isn't kind of sort of deciding whether or not he's going to commit or not. You know, he's not seeing us. He's not dating us. He has said, you are my bride. You are the one who I've got everything about. He has given his whole life to win the bride. And what's he doing for us? It says here he is sanctifying us and he is cleansing us. He wants to make us without spot and without wrinkle. You see, a church, when we ask ourselves, what is the purpose of the church? What is God's heart for the church? God's heart is this, that his bride would give themselves for him. That is the primary thing that Jesus wants to do. If the primary thing that we feel about is is about my calling and my personal development, then it's a bit like me going into my marriage and saying, well, your job, Helen, is is to help me be all I can be. That's not a good marriage. The best marriages are the one where both parties say, I will give everything I have that you, for you, I'll give my love to you, I'll give my time for you, I'll give my energy for you, everything's for you. 
And we don't get taken advantage of because we've got, if we've got a good husband or a good wife they are, and they have the same attitude, then that's where a great marriage works from. It's not, you know, me, I want to take what I can get out of this marriage. It's me, what can I give to this marriage? And so you see, if our attitude towards the church is I want to take what I can from it, we're not behaving like the bride of Christ. We're behaving like selfish, like individuals who want what we want, but our heart is to be, Jesus, we are your bride. What is our call to do for you? That's our primary focus. And the second thing I'd say is that when we love our husband, right, when we love, I'm not very good at this, right, Um, but you know, if you love somebody, you can't help but talk about them, right, as much as it makes me sick, right, okay, these people that post photos of, of their, like, their wedding anniversary or something on Facebook, and it's like, so blessed to have this man in my life after 29 years or whatever it is, and I just feel a little bit sick in the pit of my stomach, Um, but, but it's true in a sense, their heart is, right, their heart is, I just want to tell the world about how much I love this guy, or how much I love this woman, Right? That's the heart of someone that loves. And so the heart of a church that really loves Jesus is that they will want to tell everyone that they know about Jesus. And you see, mission is not something we are forced to do, it's something we get to do. We get to do it because we love Jesus. Our priority is not that we ought to just do things for Jesus, but we love Jesus and we serve him above everything else. I'm going very quickly now, aren't I? But I'm excited, right? But we love and we serve Jesus and above everything else. And out of that, out of our heart of love, comes a desire to share with the person who lives next door to us. Because I want to tell you about Jesus. And I want to tell you that he is just the most wonderful person that I've ever met. And I want to tell you about our church where you will see, a bit messy at times, but you will see the manifold wisdom of God displayed. Amen? So, why is this important to us this morning? Practically, why does this matter? Right, okay, Tim, you've given us all this, this good talk about the purpose of the church, the heart of God towards his church, the love that he has. So how should we respond? Well, first of all, this is, this is real simple. If Jesus loves the church, then so should we. If Jesus loves the church, then so should we. If Jesus loves it so passionately that he was willing to commit himself wholeheartedly to it, then that is how we should respond. You know, the church is a... Um, Anyone that's been part of church for any kind of length of time, there's a few people that have not been in church so long here. I just want to like just say to you, right, get, just be prepared, right, okay? The church will inevitably, right, let you down, right? The church will inevitably make a mess of things. But that doesn't stop us or shouldn't stop us loving the church because Jesus loves the church in all of its brokenness, all of its mess, all of its, its confusion. You know, Jesus is not dating or flirting with the church. He isn't half in and half out. And if we are to encounter the, the fullness of God in our lives, I'm going to tell you, it happens through the church. Because everything, who, what is God doing? He's building his church. How does God reveal himself? Through his church. How's the manifold wisdom of God displayed through his church? If you want to find Jesus, how are you going to do it? You're going to have to find it, I'm afraid, through the church. And I'm not saying that doesn't mean you don't have a personal relationship with God. Of course you do. Right? But I'm saying the church is such a crucial part of that experience. You cannot have a Christian life and live it on your own or just kind of flipping and flopping inside of our church. You'll never find the fullness of God in that, I'm afraid. The devil is always seeking to undermine the church. And so how does he do it? In, in, he, he does it through division. He does it through sin. But I would say in our era, he does it through individualism. The way the devil wants to un- unpick the church in our era is individualism. The church exists for me, and it's all about me. 
and it's about me, me, me. And we need to say, Lord, if you love the church as much as this, that it's your bride, then I have to love it too, despite all of its spots and wrinkles. So that's the first thing that we need to do. The second is this, is that whether you like it or not, you are part of the church. As soon as you are saved, right, you are part of God's global church. But God's global church is expressed through local expressions, through local churches, okay? And whether you like it or not, if you are saved, God will add you to one. You might not like it very much, but God will add you to one. And I want to say this to you. you can't, I don't believe you can join a church. I don't believe you can. I don't believe you can join a church. You might think you can, but you can't, right? God adds you. God adds you to his church, right? And you know what I find funny about that is that often the local church that God has added us to is not the one that we would choose, you know, you might say, well, I prefer this style up the road or I prefer, you know, um, the way that they serve, these, these, this church down the road, they serve real coffee with like really fancy biscuits. Like, you know, that's where it's at, you know. And, you know, to be honest, the preaching in this place is quite dull. And I might even disagree with some of the things they say. But worst of all, I don't even like some of the people in that church, right? But whether you like it or not, what I find funny is that God adds you to a church and you have not got anything you can do about it, Right? except resist him and eventually you're going to get into all kinds of trouble, right? And I, do you know what, if I'm honest, right, if I, in my natural man, my natural Tim, I wouldn't be leading this church. I'd be leading a church of 500, right? That's what I'd love to do, right? That's what I used to think I'd love to do, right? But God added me to this place and whether you like it or not, you are stuck with me, right? You are stuck with me. I'm not going anywhere, God is going to have to tear me away from this place. And I'm not kidding with you, right? I love this church so much. I love the expression of this church. I love who it is. I've got no intention of going anywhere until the Lord moves me on. Because I just, do you know what? You might think, oh, we're, a, we're an odd group. And we are, right? Okay? Just look at Tenno, right? Okay? <clears throat> but, but God has made us a church. And if God's added you, Tough. Right? you just got to get on with it and love it. And if the Lord hasn't added you, go to the place where God has added you. But what's amazing about the church is that we are all part of it, whether we like it or not. And we are all part of a local church. And we have to live it out. And we have to express the manifold wisdom of God. And so this morning as I finish, I want to just encourage you to catch an aroma of the ultimate. To catch an aroma of eternity. That this church... River Church in 2019 may be nothing special, but it is incredibly special because it is speaking to the principalities and powers of the manifold wisdom, the amazing wisdom of God that this group of nuts, kind of slightly old people, can really love each other and care for each other and be something special and be an expression of Jesus. And one day, one day, it will be us walking down the aisle and we'll look at Jesus. And he will have his bride. And in that moment, you will realise, wow, all these years, it's been for this. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to say thank you.